From KIOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Michael Griffin. I often feel that the way we experience art is an extension of our soul, whether it's performing, consuming, or curating, and that art mirrors the changing landscape of society. Elijah Makiza, an Omaha native, embodies these themes as a multidisciplinary artist and event curator. My journey for my ancestry is to like curate these beautiful things for myself and for Black people, for all people to experience. Today, she talks about her journey finding connection in diverse artistic mediums, the blood, sweat, and tears that go into curating events, as well as the future of young creatives in Omaha. Makiza also started the annual Juneteenth Joy Fest, which is this Saturday on North 24th Street. Stay tuned for our conversation after this break. Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Michael Griffin. Elijah McKeeza was born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska. She's had varied experiences in the local arts community, including as a studio assistant at Bemis Center for Contemporary Arts. Her work has been featured in solo and group exhibitions at multiple Nebraska galleries, including the Union for Contemporary Art, Koneko, and the Tugboat Gallery. She's also performed with African Culture Connection and TBD Dance Collective. Additionally, McKeeza curates live events around town, namely the Sunday Soul Performance Series at Holy Family Community Center and the Juneteenth Joy Fest Arts and Culture Festival, which supports Black entrepreneurs and artists in celebration of the Juneteenth holiday. The festival is this Saturday, June 17th, from noon to 10 p.m. on North 24th Street. Here is my conversation with Elagia McKeeza. So uh, I just wanted to kind of dive in and to get to know you as a person so our listeners can understand, you know, just prioritizing the person in addition to the work mm-hmm. they do. I think that we need to, you know, remember we're human. So where are you from? Are you from Omaha? Is this where you grew up? Or Yes, I'm from Omaha. This is where I've lived my whole entire life. I was born here and I'm, I'm still around for now. <laughs> yeah, I often hear the dot, dot, dot for now. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, when thinking about art or events, uh, did you find inspiration in Omaha as you were being raised? Did you find it outside of Omaha? What were the sources? That's a good question. I think that a lot of it stemmed from my childhood. Um, My dad was into music and was an artist. I don't have, like, really the closest relationship with him. But my mom, on the other hand, who I mostly grew up with, she um, is a really good painter, and she always just made sure to put me and all of my siblings in whatever <laughs> art or talent class um, she could. So I think that was, like, partially, like, you know, have your child, like, t- a child-free time <laughs> for a little bit, but partially she just wanted to expose us to things. So when I was growing up, I took all these, like, different painting classes and different music classes and got really exposed to in that sense. And then as far as, like, events... My mom really didn't let me go to parties when I was in high school at all. Mm. She would always let me go to concerts. And I talked to someone last year, and they said that concerts were a lot safer than parties, which actually kind of makes sense because it is a bit more of a controlled environment, mm-hmm. especially as a minor. But, yeah, she used to let me go to concerts. I had a really strict curfew, but when there was a show, I could stay out and, until the show was over. So I feel like that inspired some of the work that I do now. Absolutely. You know, because I think one thing about you as well as your art is just the multifaceted nature. Mm-hmm. on every level and absolutely and it, it sounds like you were definitely incubated in that type of environment mm-hmm. from both sides you know and so you kind of said that you saw a lot of painting what styles uh does your mom paint or did she if she still does she doesn't really actively nowadays um and she also is like one of those people who like doesn't admit when they're like super good at something but she was <laughs> incredible i remember being a kid and i know it wasn't just like from a kid lens that she was as good as she was but um she um painted really realistically so she would paint like a lot of like portraits and like paintings of like apples and fruit you know like very like still realistic paintings and i thought it was like the most insane thing when i was a kid yeah Absolutely. You know, and I think a hallmark of beautiful art is when it really it really transgresses how we interpret reality. Yeah. You know, and I think just viewing that from your mama, like that's great, you know, Mm -hmm. as far as incubating in it. But what's more, you know, to use relative DEI terms, what's more representation than your mom? 
Absolutely. You know, to know that's within you. Yeah. And so, you know, it's cool how we have like that duality of our internal self and where we're where we're raised in the environment. Did you have any uh, any exposure outside of Omaha? Um, I would say so. When I I didn't really travel like a ton until like my high school aged. I got to go to Mexico with a friend and her family, and then when I was a senior in high school, my mom started letting me go on a couple trips with just me and my friends. So we went to um, see this like EDM show in Minneapolis, but we drove there and then we went to see some artist who I can't remember the name in Chicago, but that was kind of like the beginning of my exposure to art and other environments besides Omaha. And then when I graduated from high school, I was able to go to Electric Forest, which is like a big music mm. festival in the middle of nowhere in Rothbury, Michigan, in like this giant forest. Um, and it's kind of just like a free fall. You could just feel like you could just have whatever happened there. And then also it's just like a lot of people come to that festival. I think maybe the year that I went, there was like, a hundred thousand people but it's just like mm. to be with that many people in the middle of nowhere and for it to be mostly going smooth and like mostly being from a place of love and like to have that communal gathering really just kind of stuck with me for a long time I think absolutely and and you said that was when you were like an adolescence like high school yeah that was right when I graduated high school that was the like first trip that I really went <laughs> okay. on, on by myself with my friends and we drove all the way down there it was fun it was good that's really beautiful and and it really it's nice to see what is feasible absolutely and how we can really adapt that feasibility for our own things with where we are you know and mm-hmm. so with where we are and where we've been have your have your inspirations changed over time from little Elijah to who you are now do you does the water still come from the same well or have you looked for different sources of inspiration I think I've definitely looked for different sources of inspiration, especially being like a multidisciplinary artist. I think I had to have this moment, um, I think probably like two years ago, where I realized what my earlier inspirations were compared to they are now. And I think my earlier inspirations that I kind of like blocked out were like going to a lot of concerts and music events and just like tapping into that energy to remember Mm -hmm. like, oh, this is always something that you've wanted to do. Because when I left high school, like I only I always envisioned myself working at like a concert venue and doing all that. But I think I I had a lot of I had a terrible high school experience. Um, You know, I obviously had good times with friends, but just being like a black person at Westside High School and a dark skinned person at that, I just dealt with a lot of colorism that kind of really affected my self-esteem and just also just being a black kid at a predominantly white school by white teachers that also really affected my self-esteem. So I think I blocked out the creative part of me in Mm. high school a lot Mm -hmm. and I kind of resented that myself for Mm. a while and then so lately as I've been doing more shows I feel like I've refound that inspiration and then I typically find a lot of inspiration when traveling I I usually do a couple trips a year um, and I've had to be like reminded of things a lot reminded of really just like representation of blackness in Omaha and what that could look like, representation of blackness in art in Omaha and um, going to places like LA or and recently I was just in Miami and then New Orleans just visiting museums there and seeing black artists create all types of works with all types of meaning, um, I feel like inspires me on a regular basis. You've spoken about your introductions as a kiddo. Was that your first time being exposed to art? Or was there another specific time where you were exposed to the idea of multidisciplinary art? Hmm. So I would say that's like a two-part thing. When I first was exposed to art, I, which I, you know, like you have to re-tap into your childhood memories. (laughs) Because for a long time I told myself like, oh, I'm just now a newly creative. But when I was a kid, I used to like draw all these fashion sketches because I used to want to design a fashion line and I would like show it to my mom and her friends at her parties and then I was in like the this competition where you could um you could enter for your school to like draw an animal or something like a landscape with an animal in it and then it would be featured at the zoo and then there was like a winner every year and so I got to the zoo part so I was the person they picked for my school to go to the zoo (laughs) okay yeah I didn't get I didn't win the competition but I remember doing that as a kid is multidisciplinary art different than doing different forms of art is it more of an identity or, or or what is your definition of a multidisciplinary artist I think my definition is someone who does multiple disciplines but can intersect them at 
any time, but I don't necessarily like to define myself as an interdisciplinary artist because I think if I'm intersecting the disciplines, it has to be at a really intentional point or has to make sense for me. And so I think the multidisciplinary overarching idea or characteristic as an artist, I think it just means that, I think it just allows you to have um, less limits and less boundaries in the work that you're doing. And I think Mm. it just, um, it just came to me a lot when I was around like 20. I started really getting back into art when I was 18. And I started mostly with visual art. So just doing like mixed media paintings and things like that. But then I realized like, oh, I've always wanted to make music. I've always wanted to dance. I've always wanted to do those things. And I was feeling the pressure of confining to just the painting or the visual aspect. But then, you know, you have to just like, work with yourself to realize like you don't have to put limits on your creativity just because we tend to box ourselves in society mm-hmm. so that's kind of when the other parts started to open up more one thing you said that i think is really compelling is just the idea of having these different hemispheres intersect mm-hmm. and having autonomy over that intersection mm-hmm. i think is really profound as far as maybe having them build upon each other and so when thinking about having the end result of the art be intersected and built upon each other is the inspiration for each discipline also intersected as well? For instance, do the similar forms of inspiration inspire your dancing that also inspire your visual art? Or do you just, do you have different sources of inspiration for the different types of disciplines? I think that there is a typically, or there is an overarching theme or inspiration for most of my artwork, whether that's dancing or whether that's having a show or any of those things. And a lot of it is kind of like a spiritual practice to me. Like, I feel like just being a black person in America, (laughs) let alone Nebraska, like (laughs) a lot of your identity is very erased or you have to search for it in a lot of ways. So I think that I started to make art to feel affirmed in who I was and, and, and who my ancestors were too. So I think a lot of it, a lot of the work I make and a lot of the work I participate in is just like a culmination of like grieving, different nuances within my blackness, um, but then also just like uplifting me and other folks in our blackness. Mm. And I don't want it to be like, just identified as me making art for black art or as a black artist, because I think it's more than that. It's more about like cultural contributions in general, but I think that's a big part of it, is that I've always had self-esteem issues when I was growing up and stuff like that, especially like being in different spaces that I was in. And so I think that um, through art, I've been able to like reclaim parts of my body. So specifically with dancing, like just had weird interactions sexually with people and just like always feeling fetishized or whatever. So I think that like dancing allowed me to like have autonomy over my own body and feel like what it's like for me to move and what I want to do without, you know, people having trying to have ownership over uh-huh. the, the body that I carry, you know? And then um, I think with doing shows and all of that is really just about, really about contributing to the culture in Omaha because I think that there are a lot of cultural contributions happening all the time in history here. And some of them are remembered, some of them are not, but a lot of them are erased due to the racism that exists within Omaha. And so I just want to be a person to like root for it because there is so much brain drain. Everyone's leaving Omaha all the time. And I completely understand and root for them, but I just feel like so, I don't know. I feel proud to be here in ways, but I think it's more just like, that I feel like I owe it to Omaha, but I also owe it to Mm. myself and to my family because really like my grandma moved to Omaha after sharecropping on a plantation. And so it's like, she's only ever lived in Omaha besides Arkansas Mm. where she was born and where she lived on a plantation at. Mm. And so just like having that framework of my family's identity, I always felt like, you know, like before I leave Omaha, I need to, I need to, contribute to what's happening here Um, not just for myself but for like all of the black people in Omaha who have had similar experiences and I don't know if it's still this way today but in recent years Omaha is one of like the worst places for on like the top 10 list of the worst places to be a black person to live yeah through science yeah with with studies of like (laughs) mortality rate studies yeah (laughs) yeah and so I just want to be giving to that culture in a healing way, in an affirmative way, in a representative way. So that's kind of an inspiration for some of my art. 
If you're just joining us, I'm talking with artist and event curator Alagia Makiza. Join the conversation on social media. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089 for a chance to be featured on an upcoming show. What are the disciplines, if we can just count them out, that you are involved in? Okay. So I do a lot of community organizing and event curation and mixed media, visual arts, and then dancing. And then I don't really ever showcase music, but music is just what I'm interested in. I I do have history within it, but I just never put it out there. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. So do you kind of... Can you pick a favorite child if you were going to pick one of the mediums? Or do you have certain ones of them that hold on more to you? Or do you primarily do art that intersects with different mediums, as mentioned before? Yeah, right now I feel like event curation and community organizing is at the forefront of my life. And I think that is definitely chosen work, but also just work that's just here now and I have to prioritize it. And then besides that, what I really want to do is music and dance. Those are my two things that I'm like in love with that I really want to pour so much time into. And so I'm figuring out how to balance that between the community organizing because that, like I said, takes up a lot of time. But um, and I love, love making visual art. I think it's really fun. And I've and before I stopped doing it to do the community organizing, I think um, I was getting to a really deep place where like I was starting to identify with. Um, what's my signature as an artist? You know, not to be cheesy or corny, but you know how, like, if you go somewhere, you're like, oh, I know that's Nina Chanel or I know that's Hyundai Wiley. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You just, like, can recognize it from afar. I don't know necessarily if I was having that fully because I always feel like I like to keep a certain mystery about myself and the things that I do. <laughs> but um, I think I was getting to a place that was, like, more identifiable. Um, and so I do miss that work, and I hope to return to it one day. But right now, presently... I think music and dance is what I love the most, but I do more community organizing. Totally. And I think there's always that pressure of output, mm-hmm. you know, and especially if you're doing different mediums. You can't practice or commit to everything all the time. And so I, I think I think it can be cool to interpret artistic practices as relationships that have mm-hmm. ebbs and flows. Sometimes you don't hang out with a homie for a week, but you know you love them. <laughs> That's so true. I love that. Yeah, awesome. And and so with that in mind, who are some artists of all disciplines or mediums that have really inspired you in life? Yeah, um, let's see here. So for visual art, I would say Micheline Thomas is a big inspiration of mine. I just love her work. I think it's so I think it's just so powerful and um yeah, it just really represents black people in a really beautiful way music wise and also just like energy wise i'm really inspired by erica badu and cleo soul and leanne lahavis like just those really soulful people nina simone um there is there's this spiritual leader who used to um live in new orleans in the 1920s her name is mother Catherine sills and learning about her was a big inspiration for some of my sunday soul work I'm really inspired by Issa Rae, too. I think her work is incredible. And even, like, when I saw that Insecure episode about the a festival, like, festival, the block party that she threw, that was just, like, such an inspiration for what Juneteenth is now. So those are some people. I feel like I'm blanking now because you put me on the spot <laughs> to think about it. I really like Kara Walker, too, as mm. a visual artist. Her work is really powerful. Yeah. And she did this, like, crazy, like, sphinx thing in the middle of like an old molasses factory i don't know where it was at but that was pretty crazy yeah so those are some of the people that come definitely that's awesome and you know just to build on the idea of relationship building with art i think there are kind of levels of engagement with that form of relationship you know Mm -hmm. like you can be making art you could be expressing or interpreting art that you're around you can curate the space. And so with the idea of curating a space, you know, how would you describe curating an event compared to running an event? Hmm. So I think running an event typically means that you're just trying to maximize your profits, mm. although you might have interest or a love for the culture of music or performance or whatever event you're running. I think it's more about like, how much money am I making or how is this like beneficial to me? in the future in some resource. Um, And I think 
usually when you're just having an event, it's just like kind of traditionally put together how most events are put together. So I will say like a real like strict lineup, you know, like an artist just comes and performs and leaves. The artist doesn't necessarily interact with the community on a level or like, mm. you know, even I went to this block party a few weeks back and just thinking about like the parameters of it, just how it's like that normal, like, gray fencing that goes up like I think it's just like those mm. type of things I think it's overcharging for drinks and, and for entry probably <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it just kind of seems like maximizing profit that doesn't seem like the heart is there I think curating event I think you have to it's a practice it's a practice for sure and especially if I'm curating an event in a space that I'm gonna come back to I have to sit with that space for a long time before I start doing something I have to kind of do this unspoken communication or unspoken language with the space and the energy of the space and see what that brings to me. I think you think about how to have boundaries within that space. So how do you welcome people? How do you restrict people when need be? How do you close people in, but in a way that's more inviting? And then, like I said, the traditional fencing or whatever. So I think it's just like being extremely intentional about what the experience is and doing the extra work to add the additions because already just trying to have like let's say a traditional performance show like it's a it's a ton of work you know what I mean so I commend people who do it just to throw events or throw festivals or throw concerts that are very like traditional in the way they move but when you're trying to curate something it's like that plus everything else Mm. it's like the small details of like well, I'm going to add an extra candle here or this is really last minute, but I'm going to take the time to make this to put it on the stage or, you know what I mean? Or I'm going to get this thing printed or give this thing out to people. So it's just kind of like that, like how is the visitor or the guest of that experience um, feeling more fulfilled than uh. Uh, than just the transaction? Like it's really supposed to be an exchange. Absolutely. It, it really feels like adding adding a foundation of humanity. Absolutely. Amidst everything, you know, because with what you said earlier, I think that there's a very prominent connection between feeling like you can't be open and having to have a shield and how well you can or can't relate to art, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to just have that level of intentionality for a relationship, you know, like you need a bridge for two islands. Yeah. Yeah, and that's great. That's that's great. And so, with these insights, uh, I think in order to have any nuanced idea, it takes a lot of introspection. Mm-hmm. You know. And so, in your case, when did you start really moving for that level of relationship building with cur- curating events? Like, what were some of your first events that you did curate? Okay, so some of the first events that I curated, um, I think it was maybe in 2017 or 18. I can't remember the year. But the first event I curated was mostly an art show. It was because I was a visual artist and nobody would let me have shows anywhere. (laughs) So I was like, how can I make Mm. this happen for myself? And so Outer Spaces and Philip Coble, who used to run that space, um, was just a big supporter of like you can have it here and um, it was when Outer Spaces moved to 13th Street so it was one of the first shows that happened there and it was only for a night and we just covered the wall fully and fully in art like all of the walls are covered in art um, Talia Rogers and Casey Callahan both two incredible local artists mm-hmm. were involved in the show and then we had a DJ um, and yeah we just kind of just made it as fun as we could Um that was one of my first times really curating something. And that one was really rewarding because a lot of people came out for it. Like a, almost 150 people came out for mm-hmm. it. And people bought art, bought like Casey's art and Talia's art. And then even just like having it at Outer Spaces and their model of paying people and supporting their work that they were doing there was really beautiful. So it was very gratifying as I was working so hard to even like be seen as an artist. Mm-hmm. Um and then some other events, I used to be a part of the study that was on 24th Street where Drips and the old culture house was. I used to be kind of involved in there. So I would have like, I remember I had a funk party there, like a two chains party where like we only listened to two chains music. <laughs> there was a little bit sprinkled in, but it was, that was really, really fun. Like just, I would just want to, I just wanted at that time to bring together people, I guess in a space of joy or a space of like something that wasn't happening in Omaha like I think sometimes when you go out to like 
clubs and spaces in Omaha, a lot of them aren't meant for more diverse or um, accessible to like fits different people, people's accessibility needs and things that they like. And so I was just thinking then like, you know, I never hear any of the music that I want to hear while I'm mm. out. So how can I curate a show or like bring a DJ in who's going to play something that like we all relate to like culturally. And that's when um, Two Chains released that. I always forget the name of it, but the Trap House album, the pink cover. And that <laughs> album was so good. And it's just like when you hear a good album, you just want to be able to like go out in the summer and listen to it. And like a lot of the times that's not happening here. And so or at the time it wasn't at least. Um, so I think I just wanted to give people an opportunity to have fun and to just like, you know, just break down the barriers of like having to show up to clubs that like might play music you like, but might like discriminate against the outfit that you're wearing mm. that typically like relates to like what race you are <laughs> yep. um yeah so just like that unwelcoming vibe that you first interact with when going to a space that you're supposed to like patronize our business and pay for your drinks and pay for entry and you don't you're not even really welcome there mm. um i think i was trying to like remove that boundary a little bit by the first stuff that i was having also i wasn't 21 when i had either of those events so it was kind of like something for people who are younger than 21 to have something to do a place to go have fun and to dance so I'm talking with Elagia Mekiza about redefining conventional approaches to creating spirituality, the process behind artistic expression across mediums, and the Juneteenth Joy Fest, which is this Saturday, June 17th. Stay tuned for the rest of the conversation after this break. If you're enjoying the type of content you get here at Riverside Chats, conversations that go in-depth on art, politics, and everything in between, please consider becoming a supporter of the show. You can find a link in the show notes that allows you to give a recurring or single amount, whatever you're comfortable with, whatever you think the show is worth, which maybe is nothing. In which case, ouch, if you think this is a valuable part of your week, then we would appreciate the support so we can continue to give you the quality that you came here for in the first place. Thank you for considering supporting Riverside Chats and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Michael Griffin. You can subscribe and hear previous episodes of this show on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite app is. Today, I'm talking with Elagia Makiza about the process behind curating artistic events and what to expect for the future of the arts community. Juneteenth Joy Fest, which she runs, is this Saturday on the historic North 24th Street. Here is the rest of our conversation. So how has your approach or what differences have you noticed in pursuit of curating events before and after COVID? For instance, are people more jazzed out to go than before or are you more motivated and has it changed your approach with the venue? How did the lockdown impact that process? I think that it inspired me to do um, to do events that were in like that weren't in ordinary spaces anymore. Cause I think I used to just think about, well, mm. what event venue can this happen in? Or what space can mm. I rent out to make it happen? But uh, during the pandemic, I was spending so much time outside and I knew that like, mm. if we were gonna return to gathering at some point that, especially cause the numbers were going up and down in 2021 and in 2022, I was like, well, if I do something like it should be outside. <laughs> so this is a right. natural, just like, easier way I guess to manage um and so I think it inspired me to like interact with like the spaces that exist specifically in North Omaha because that's where I live and so the first event that I really had um after like towards not the end of the pandemic because it's still technically happening but um in 2021 um was outside in an empty lot by my house. And so I just remember being there and spending so much time outside and I was gardening at that time and just feeling really connected to that land and to that space. And I just was thinking, you know, something like this land wants this activation. It mm. wants to be, it wants to be like lived upon. It wants an experience where people are here and where people are gathered because um, specifically in North Omaha, there's a lot of developmental changes around the area, which is good and beneficial, but like kind of the way things get developed here, they don't necessarily like intersect with the nature that already exists. And so <clears throat> specifically like the lot next to my house and the lots by my house um, 
were full of trees, just like full of these gorgeous trees. Um, and as a person who just feels connected to nature, I just think that like, you know, it's undeniable that trees have history and they have energy. And I think that, you know, trees witness a lot of things that happened or, or even the land just witnesses a lot of things that happen. It's just like any other entity it has matter it has energy you know what I mean it's not even trying to be like a spiritual woo woo thing it's just like how how I navigate my life and I think sometimes terrible awful things have happened on land like you know what I mean like colonization and like pillaging and murdering has happened uh-huh. around us and uh-huh. so I just think the land holds on to that energy because there's no one there to think about it in a way of like how can we gr- how can we help this land or this spatial energy grieve all of the terrible things and the trauma that's happened on it you know mm. and so that was kind of inspired at that point because then especially during the pandemic there was so much other division happening um and so i think like if i had a gathering i was thinking about how can this how can i interact with this land and this space in a way that just makes everybody feel so much joy and that makes this landfill like reclaimed in a way that's positive not just for a human transaction in the way that's happening all around where you just come to a lot and you survey the land by ripping out all of the trees and all the nature and then forcing any animal or any creature to like migrate to somewhere else you know what I mean like that's I don't think necessarily especially with climate change especially with all these different things happening I don't think necessarily that's like the answer these days but it's like happening and I think Omaha as a whole needs to have more conversations on how we're making it more sustainable. So that's kind of like an in, what inspired me from the pandemic. Absolutely. We, just the fact that there are so many beautiful existing systems. And I think when you try to problem solve, it makes sense to want to start from scratch and have a new idea, quote unquote. But I do think if you're starting from scratch in a space, that's kind of making the argument that you need to get rid of what's there or there aren't things of quality or virtue there. And that's before we even consider <laughs> societal context of North Omaha and Omaha. Right. So I definitely understand just the foresight of that sl- that slippery slope of having to start from scratch and get something new. Mm-hmm. I guess, as you said, transactional. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and so in thinking about how we can really refrain from having things be transactional, how we can really have the humanity, have our soul being connected to it. I think that Sunday soul is a great epitomization of that. Mm-hmm. I hope that's a word because this is on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the origin of Sunday soul? Yeah, so Sunday soul is a five-part performance series I've been doing. It's not really like on a regular basis. It's kind of sporadic and honestly when I have the time for it. Um, but that was birthed from um, just I've been really obsessed with reclaimed um, church spaces, so spaces that are, are, were once a church but aren't actively a church. Um, I grew up pretty, I guess, in a religious spaces. Like, my grandma's pretty religious. I went to Catholic school, all those things. And I think there's great things about, um, you know, spiritual practices in that sense of, like, going to church every Sunday and, like, what that can bring to people. Like, I recognize all the benefits, but sometimes I didn't always agree with the sermon or the words of it um, or just kind of, like, the nuances of like the way churches operate versus like the people who are, you know, um, members of the church and like what their livelihoods are like when some of like people who run churches are super rich and all those types of things. So that was kind of an inspiration. Um, And then I went to New Orleans, which I feel really obsessed with that place sometimes. It's just so, it's just such an old city, you know, it's like over 300 years old. And I just think that like, although, you know, like, slavery is very prominent in the south and like especially like new orleans and louisiana being like a big slave port like you can feel all that energy there but there's something really powerful about it not being erased because you know within that and within the slavery and within all the things that happen there's so many of our ancestors who did such wonderful and beautiful things and created such rich history in that space and so you can feel all of those things together in a way that's really healing and kind of just teaches you more about being a black person in my instance and mm. in my um, experience there. And so I learned about Mother Catherine Seals, who was a spiritual leader in New Orleans in the 1920s. And her story just really touched me. Um, she was married three times and each one of her husbands like physically abused her really bad. And so after her, the last husband did it, she tried to go to the bayou and ask um, a high priest for spiritual help. And he wouldn't help her because she was black. Hmm. And so she um, 
So she started her own spiritual practice in her own church, and she practiced, like, a lot of, like, voodoo and hoodoo practices. And um, it just really touched my heart just because, like, in that time in the 1920s during Jim Crow, she ran this she ran this church like that people lived in. It was called the um, the Temple of Innocent Blood, and um, and it was like black and white people together, and like people of all different backgrounds and ethnicities and like um, sexualities, like all in one space during such like a racist and segregated time. And I just felt like super inspired by her story of like resiliency from like all the things that she faced within um just being a black woman and how she came together and like brought this space of like communal healing and gathering and like maybe unorthodox spiritual practices that allowed for people to like be together in that time I don't know it was just so inspiring to me so that kind of helped with Sunday Soul a lot and I think there's something really beautiful about um reclaimed church spaces because I think they you can feel the sanctuary and you can feel that the the energy of what church should be what i think it should be but i think it just allows you to move without so many boundaries or so many limitations that religion sometimes brings Mm. and how i think especially like in places that were maybe like old catholic churches um i think they are super special too because a lot of like like growing up around like Catholicism and all of yeah I don't know I just feel like it's a very nuanced religion I feel like I don't really agree with a lot of the things about it or I don't know I think religion can bring a lot of fear and like although it's supposed to be a place of like sanctuary and healing and joy and connecting to a higher source or a higher power I don't think sometimes it always translates to to the way people run their churches or the the biases they have and so I think Sunday Soul was kind of like I'm having a Sunday service not necessarily pushing any religion or spiritual um practice on to anyone but it's allowing people to gather in a space that's really beautiful and a space that brings like sanctum to your heart and to your soul without the boundaries of sometimes the messages that religions can bring Mm. and so it feels very controversial in a way or it feels like hard to say sometimes because of religion and how religion kind of silences people all the time Mm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, or makes people feel like they have to be silenced and especially like being really interested in like African-based spiritualities like hoodoo and the Yoruba um, and and Ifa and stuff like that. I think that um, there's always been this like feeling or just kind of like you know when people say something to you so much or you experience so much that you just it's just ingrained in you and so I've always thought me exploring or being interested in those practices always were associated with like it being evil because like as like black people have been indoctrinated into like um Christian and like Catholic religious practices though they've lost their own spirituality because it was always like um just labeled as an as evil or just you know get like practicing with evil entities even though it's not it's really beautiful and a lot of it can be really connected and intersected with like the nature that exists in the world and so I always felt like I was having a hard time honoring that part of myself that wanted to explore that and that doesn't necessarily mean commit to a full religion but to be able to explore and I think I think you can enjoy parts of religion without having without having to agree to everything that maybe that religion is telling you you need to Mm. do. So it's like, maybe I don't agree with this in a part of um, practicing hoodoo, or maybe I don't agree with this about going to a Catholic service or a Christian service, but that doesn't mean that, like, I can't connect to it because I think that's the basis of it is really just trying to connect to a higher power. But because we're Mm. humans and there's so many stipulations and judgments and all the things that we go through in society, I think that really like reflects in religion a lot in a way that I never really liked because it forced me Mm. to want to commit to something that I don't fully like I don't fully agree with in my heart or like in my morals. Um, So I feel like I just ranted a long time about religion. But Sunday Soul is kind of birthed in that practice. It's a free series. Um, It's honoring a lot of women artists because I'm inspired by Mother Catherine Seals and some other um, women, too, that we've honored um, that that I call them changemakers, just basically women who have been impactful in communities. So we honored Bell Hooks and Nina Simone, and we have different disciplines, um, different performance disciplines that artists... Um, come and do so we've had poetry we've had dance we've had um, different types of music happen um, and it's been hosted at Holy Family Community Center which is now a pantry um, 
and they have a clothing store and they help a lot of houseless folks and people who are in need but it's not an active church but the the chapel there is gorgeous and they were really um welcoming to the idea of having something like free and alcohol free and like a series for all and so i think that's that's what sunday soul is if you're just joining us i'm talking with artist and event curator alagia mckeesa join the conversation on social media follow riverside chats on facebook twitter or instagram or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089 for a chance to be featured on an upcoming show. And so what about Juneteenth Joy Fest? Because one thing that you said earlier was that that nature, our ecology, can feel pain that's happened here. Mm-hmm. And especially with so many conversations around justice, equity, race, you know, there are times where it doesn't specifically have a connection to joy mm-hmm. when we think of these things, when we think of our experiences. Mm-hmm. So I personally think that Juneteenth Joy Fest, just the name of it, I've never heard Juneteenth and joy mm-hmm. wow. <laughs> outside of this series. So could you maybe say the background of it or what was your process with materializing it? Yeah, so Juneteenth Joy Fest is an annual Black and Arts Cultural Festival um, happening in North Omaha, near North 24th Street. The first one that I had was, um, I spoke to a little bit earlier, but it was in an empty lot next to my house, and I just wanted to do something for Juneteenth. Um, I think Juneteenth is obviously like a beautiful holiday. It doesn't necessarily like, I think people connect it to these idea of liberation and it's definitely connected to that but I think sometimes the way that it has been celebrated or the way that it's talked about is that we're not free still so (laughs) that type of like negative connotation (laughs) yeah so don't celebrate freedom because we're not free and I'm like okay (laughs) and so I just wanted to just acknowledge our ancestors in a way that wasn't so I guess heavy or loaded because like I think you should for sure learn about Juneteenth and the history of it, but I think, um, but I think that like Juneteenth Joy Fest is just about bringing the Black community together on an important holiday and just celebrating each other and just mm. celebrating our culture and celebrating our love and our joy and healing in our own communities. Um, yeah, I just want to remove all of those barriers of just showing up to a space and not feeling welcomed and not feeling. Like, you have the autonomy to exist. And although, like, Omaha has really beautiful Black experiences, like Omaha Native Days, it's just, like, thinking about, like, the space and just, like, you know, anytime we want to do something joyful and we want to have joy, it's usually, like, heavily policed in many ways, mm. whether that's, like, organizations involved or whether that's, like, the actual police. And I think North Omaha is, like, obviously a very heavily policed area. So I just wanted to have something that was just, like, this is for the community. This is for all ages. It's free. Bring your family out. Let's support also local artists. A big part of my practice and a big part of Juneteenth Joy Joyfest is uplifting local artists because since brain drain is so real in Omaha and also just like equability within the arts sector here sucks. <laughs> like <laughs> I think on an organizational level, I think on an individual level, like nobody wants to pay anybody for anything ever. And I just feel like you can't ask an artist who's been perfecting their craft for 10 years to do something for free for exposure in Omaha, Nebraska, mm. like mm. especially like as a place that has so much money, you know what I mean? So I just, have tried my best to fundraise money to just really support artists. So um, each artist that performs, I feel like I give them a great stipend and I also pay for them to have artist support. So they have bands. Um, some of them are playing with bands for the first time, like Thailand for the last last year when she performed. She performed with the band for the first time and then her and her band started getting booked for stuff. So that was really beautiful. And this year, Dex Arbor is performing for the first time with the band. So just kind of giving artists the opportunity to be, feel affirmed in the work that they're doing here and that they're valued. If it's not happening by organizations or other people, I just want to be the person to be like, I see what you're doing and I see your effort and I want to uplift your craft and give you, even if it's not the most money in the world, I just want to pay you really well for this one thing so you rec- to recognize and make up for how other people are hmm. are lacking in that. So that's a hmm. little about Juneteenth Joy Fest. So sometimes when we spread joy, it can be with money to artists. Absolutely. As well as Facebook statuses. Yes, 100%. <laughs> so if someone were to go to see this, when could they see it in 2023? When is it and where is it? <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, so it's on Saturday, June 17th. It, ha- it starts after the annual parade. So it goes um, from 12 to 10 p.m. Um, between 12 and 5, there will be some poetry performances, some DJs. We have a black flea market going on. And from 5 to 10 is like the actual band performances. Um, Rex Live Raj from Berkeley, California. He's headlining it. His music is very versatile. He's a great rapper and singer and producer. Um, but his last album really touched my heart. Um, it's called, I think, The Blue Hour. I'm gonna, sorry if that's wrong. But his last album, um, it was about his mother who passed away. And he like mm. dedicated to her. And it was just really beautiful and just felt like Omaha needed that that time and that energy and that space of grieving but in a joyful way so I'm really excited to have him and then I was able to book another artist out of town her name is Sianka and she is from North Carolina um, and she has a real soulful sound so there's performances we have some good partnerships that a lot of them aren't announced yet but I'll announce some of them so um, we're partnering with Lululemon they're doing a wellness tent um, and then we'll be um, giving out some juices from Idle Vital Living. And then um, Skate Fest Omaha is going to bring out their ramps and have mm. a skate competition. And then um, the Jocelyn is supporting a black arts project that was led by some black community members mm. um, from my committee. And so they're doing some like this African weaving thing and having double dutch and stuff like that. Um, and then the Luminarium is going to do um, a science-based activity. Um, Omaha Performing Arts is coming out and doing something. And then we'll ha- we're having two more we're still figuring out. But, yeah, okay. it'll be good. There will be a lot of community engagement and interaction that I'm excited about. I have about. two very important follow-up questions. Mm-hmm. Number one, can adults be a part of Double Dutch? Adults can 100% I have never done it. I didn't grow after I was 10, so I know I'm sure it can go over me. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. Glad to clear that up. But number two, where is it at exactly? Oh, it's on 24th and Ohio Street. Um, so it's behind the Fabric Lab in the alleyway, but then also we shut down 24th and Ohio. So you just look up the Fabric Lab, 2514 North 24th Street. You'll be able to run right into it. It's free. We do accept donations, though, because this is definitely a grassroots-led festival. We just wanted it to be accessible. That's why it's free. Um, but, yeah, support. Come out. Awesome. So when we've talked about this curating stuff, mm-hmm. where do you get the energy? Is oh it ebbing God. and flowing? Does it really depend on the seasons with more stuff in the summer? But how do you how do you prioritize taking care of you in the process? Because I think that is just as important as the end result that we all experience as well. Yeah, I think it's definitely been a learning curve for sure. And sometimes I feel a lot of resiliency to um, to do things. I will say, like, haters can be your motivators. <laughs> and I think, like, I, I love curating events. I love putting on stuff, but I have had a hard time in Omaha just with working with people or people just not being as supportive as they could, I think that that's one thing that needs to be talked about more in the arts community in Omaha is how people who have power and leadership like aren't uplifting others or aren't willing to share resources in the way that needs to have a sustainable, equitable community for all instead of just like you as an individual. I think that individualism really exists in the arts community in Omaha. And so I have had to like fight through a lot of that. I've had to like deal with like people kind of trying to discourage the things that I've been doing, Mm. even though they really are rooted in community, um, community joy and community healing. Um, So I think that like has inspired me to be like when people try to like silence your dream and you're like, no, wait, I can actually do this. And you make me want to do it even more because why would you, tell me not to do something that's supposed to be so beautiful so that's helped me um i think i feel really i feel really um motivated by my ancestors i think that this is something i think i've had a lot of opportunities in my life compared to like um like to my mother's side of the family or even my father's side of the family like you know what i mean like growing up with people who were enslaved like it's just like you know, you're only a few generations from, like, actually, like, mm-hmm. having more opportunities and being able to do stuff. And I've had a ton of opportunities to travel and make art and to do all these things. So I don't take that lightly at all. And I recognize, like, this is part of, like, my journey for my ancestry is to, like, curate these beautiful 
things for myself and for black people, for all people to experience. That is a big motivator for me. Um, as far as like the resting, it is really hard. And I have this year with Juneteenth more last year, I think I was just really motivated to put it together. But this year I've been kind of struggling about getting stuff done. And I just feel like um, one thing I just have to give myself more grace and like also just being able to pivot because sometimes you just have like this plan in your head, but things and obstacles always occur. And so you just have to give yourself grace. And I have to remind myself like, although I feel, although this is like, I might feel a bunch of pressure for the community, like from the community to do this, like it's probably just in my head and I'm just, mm. and I just need to trust in myself and also recognize like this is still being built. It doesn't have to be mm. perfect and I can just allow it to give it like allow the natural process of it being built and not feeling like I have to rush to be like some other bigger festival because it looks more professional. Mm. So that's helped a lot. Um, I do struggle with the time. It does take so much incredible effort to do this. Like I can't even explain to you how much time and energy it takes. And um, it's hard when you do something for free because I'm starting to learn like the ways that people value it. Um, and typically they don't always value it as much as they could because it is free. And so I'm thinking about that and navigating those nuances of like, well, I want to keep it accessible, but how do I make it really me like be like a community exchange, a community equitable? Because if I just put it out for the community and just give it, it's not going to be sustainable for me or for the people who are trying to help me do it. Um, so I need more community support for sure on it. Um, and then other ways I guess I try to prioritize rest within it is like, I just took a vacation and at first I was like, oh, I don't know if I should take one because I should really focus on it. But that really helped. And just like certain days, I'm like, I just can't do it today. Like I just have to not do it. And I think it'll be fine. And if this person doesn't see this email from me today, I think they'll be okay. You know, <laughs> like, so I think you have to just really remind yourself that like, you can't go 100% of the time. Cause I think for a long time I was on that, like I'm doing 100%. Um, but it's not sustainable. Like you will burn right. burn out. I mean, I feel kind of burned out now, but um, I'm just thinking about on the long run, like how do I make this sustainable thing for not just myself, but for everyone as an Omaha cultural community, like mm. thing that happens on a regular basis for Omaha, you know, mm -hmm. like that's what I want it to be. And I recognize I'm the person leading it as of right now, but um, I hope it sustains itself in a beautiful way. And I'm trying to plan that framework to where it can happen. Absolutely. You know, we deserve the joy we get. And Absolutely. I think if there's anything that really epitomizes what I'm walking away from this conversation with, it's that. And I just wanted to thank you so much for just explaining the process, the art, where, you, where you're from and what you're about. So thank you very much. Yes, thank you for having me. Riverside Chats was created by Tom Noblock and is a production of 91.5 KIOS Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowicz. Remember, you can find the backlog of Riverside Chats episodes wherever you get podcasts. Thank you for listening. I'm Michael Griffin. <laughs>